0: This is KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Thursday, August 10th of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, how have our natural environments changed over the course of our lifetimes? We'll hear from one naturalist who has been documenting those changes. She'll be presenting her new book this evening. Summer is winding down, at least as far as school is concerned. And if your kids are looking for an immersive, multiverse-style way to close things out, Meow Wolf is throwing a monster battle kid party this afternoon in Cheeseman Park. Then, Radio Nibbles host John Lindorf will be in the studio with a guest to catch us up on local food news. After the bottom of the hour, BBC News Update comes a back-to-school edition of Black Talk. Host Michelle Simpson sits down with the principal of Boulder High. Then at 9.30, Carrie Marks will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still coming up, but first, it's time for the headlines. With KGN News, Benita
1: Lee. The Boulder County Commissioners will be holding two public hearings regarding potential ballot initiatives for November, including one that would help establish a reliable funding source for affordable housing. The first hearing is tonight at the East Boulder Community Center from 5.30 to 7 p.m. The other public hearing is scheduled for August 17th at 9 a.m. at the Commissioner's Courthouse on Pearl Street. On August 21st, Boulder will have an independent police monitor for the first time in almost a year. KGNU's Jacob Agatston has the details.
2: The city of Boulder announced yesterday that it has hired Sherry Down as the new independent police monitor. Down was previously the director of investigations for Chicago's Civilian Office of Police Accountability. She served in other various police oversight roles before that. Down also has a law degree from the University of Chicago Law School. The independent police monitor works with the police oversight panel, the Boulder Police Department, and city officials. And is also responsible for reviewing complaints made against the police. Down will fill the role which has been empty since Joey Lapari stepped down as the independent police monitor at the end of last September. For KGNU, I'm Jacob Agatston.
1: After a six year court case, Boulder County will pay a $2.5 million settlement to a man who blinded himself during a psychotic episode in jail after being placed in solitary confinement for a third time. According to the Colorado Sun, 37-year-old Ryan Partridge, who has schizophrenia, was confined for weeks at a time during his nine months in the Boulder County Jail in 2016. Prior to blinding himself, Partridge knocked out seven teeth after smashing his head on a toilet during isolation and attempted suicide by jumping from the second floor. While the county sheriff's office said it did not believe its staff violated the law, Partridge's settlement includes over $2 million for deliberate indifference to his mental health and over $300,000 for excessive force by jail staff. Democratic Representative Judy Amabile of Boulder said Partridge should have been in a hospital instead of jail. Amabile was a key sponsor of House Bill 1211 signed into law in 2021. The law prohibits confining an inmate involuntarily in their cell for 22 or more hours a day without human interaction, significant movement, or time outside the space. Jefferson County officials captured a 20-year-old man Tuesday night who is suspected of sexual predation on women hiking along trails in and around Conifer. Officials searched for over two hours in the dark at Stapleton Park, where suspect Glenn Braden allegedly exposed himself to two different lone female hikers on Tuesday. Deputies say they found Braden hiding in the woods, and after a short chase by foot, he didn't fight arrest. Officials think the Evergreen resident may be the same person who had sexually assaulted several other female hikers in Conifer since April 3rd. U.S. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona is in Colorado today to discuss linking students with the skills they'll need for high-demand, better-paying jobs. Secretary Cardona is announcing a $25 million career-connected high school grant program that's part of President Biden's Investing in America agenda to bring together more workforce-ready students with employers. The Boulder Valley School District opens their help center today to assist parents with online paperwork. KGNU's Zach Thompson has more.
3: BVSD is providing assistance to any parents who need help with enrollment or start-of-the-year paperwork at BVSD Education Center on 6500 Arapahoe Road. From today through Tuesday, the Help Center will be open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., except on Sunday. Any parent or guardian seeking help needs to bring requested documentation such as address, birth certificate, proof of guardianship, and immunization records. The Help Center is free for all BVSD parents and families. Assistance in Spanish is also available as needed. For KGNU, I'm Zach Thompson.
1: Firefighters paused operations Wednesday against two wildfires spreading in hard-to-reach forested areas of southwestern Colorado. Lightning strikes started the two fires, which have burned over 1,400 acres north of Pagosa Springs. The bigger blaze, called the Quartz Ridge Fire, had burned over 1,300 acres inside the South San Juan Wilderness. The almost 300-acre Bear Creek Fire doubled in size overnight, according to the Denver Post. San Juan national forest officials said they did not want to put firefighters at risk and were planning to battle the fire once it reaches more accessible terrain. Other smaller fires are burning throughout the area, also ignited by lightning, as dry conditions and lush grasses have created tinder for fast spreading flames. Partly sunny, with a chance of showers and thunderstorms this afternoon, winds could gust up to 21 miles per hour. In Boulder, a high near 89 and a low around 61. In Denver, a high near 90 and a low around 62. In Fort Collins, a high near 90 and a low around 58. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee.
0: You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Shannon Young. One doesn't have to be a climatologist to see the ways in which our habitats are changing. Mary Young is the author of more than 20 books on the landscape, heritage, and natural communities of the American West. She's also the recipient of numerous literary awards, including the 2020 Lifetime Achievement Award from the Colorado Authors League. Young will be reading from and signing her latest book, Bluebird Seasons, Witnessing Climate Change in My Piece of the Wild, this Thursday, that's today, at the Boulder Bookstore on the Pearl Street Mall at 630. She spoke with KGNU's Elena Claver ahead of the event.
4: So thank you so much, Mary. Why don't you start by telling us about where is this piece of the wild, if you could describe this land, and then how the land helped bring about this book Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me,
5: Elaine. I appreciate it. Uh, So our land is west of Trinidad, about 12 miles in far southern Colorado, sort of the foothills of the Sangre de Cristos. We're just north of New Mexico. It's a really diverse landscape, pinyon, juniper forest with an understory of oak brush. And that means lots of wonderful natural food for birds and wildlife. And so we have been down on that property for about pushing 30 years now, and I've kept a nature journal the entire time, just for fun, you know, just the sightings, the wonderful things we saw, the quirky little pieces of nature it revealed. But then I realized that hidden within all of these 25 years of entries was evidence of a changing climate. So that's what led me to go. This isn't just a nice little
4: nature journal. This is really a chronicle of climate change. In birdwatching, we talk about patchwork where people get to know a certain patch of land. And you've obviously over 30 years gotten to know this piece of land. And with climate change, we need science, we need facts, but we also need things that move us move our hearts, move our emotions. And I wonder if you could talk about how your observations, which are more observations than necessarily scientific studies, gave you this information about climate change in your piece of the land.
5: Well, I completely agree. We have unlimited, overwhelming amount of data and science that's telling us climate change is happening. But it's really story that connects with people. And, And, you know, we see... A variety of birds down there we enjoy watching them for example we always had we've always fed hummingbirds we've had abundant hummingbirds throughout the warm months uh, and our primary species was the broad-tailed hummer which is Colorado's humming whistling familiar hummingbird but over the years we realized our dominant hummingbird was becoming the black-chinned hummingbird which is a more south-ranging species And now the black chin is definitely the dominant bird we see at our feeders. Sometimes we aren't seeing broadtails until a day or two after we set out our feeders. And then we've just noticed changes in use of the land by elk because they're staying in the high country later into the season. We aren't hearing elk bugling in the fall as often. Last winter, I found fresh bear scat outside our cabin in January. That means that bear had not entered hibernation. Yeah, So lots of changes we're seeing there.
4: As a nature writer who has roots both in the science of ecology and in writing to move people, what do you feel like are the messages that people need to learn from your experience and the message that you're trying to bring out in this book?
5: Definitely that this is happening in your backyard, your little special place too. So I just hope readers will look around them, recognize what's going on, what birds are they not seeing that they always used to have in their yard, um, and, you know, think of their own stories and start to share those stories. Because we have voice when we speak out, when we talk to each other, and it, it puts, if you will, a human face on the story of climate change.
4: And as you've been presenting this book, have you been hearing back from people who have maybe done similar things, maybe not on such an extensive level or in such a deliberate way of writing for these decades?
5: You know, definitely. And it's it's more that people are coming up to me and saying, you know, I used to have a certain kind of bird at my feeder and I haven't seen them in so long or my flowers are not Blooming the way they used to because so many changes are happening. Perhaps it's just too dry, or this season has been very strange, too wet. So people aren't necessarily recording a multi year journal like I have, but they are starting to notice. And it, when it actually enters into our own lives and the things that touch our hearts, like our closeness to nature and seeing trees die, then it becomes very real.
4: Well, Mary Young, thank you so much. And listeners, if you'd like to hear more about this book, Bluebird Seasons, Witnessing Climate Change in My Piece of the Wild, you can head to the Boulder Bookstore on Thursday, August 10th at 6.30 p.m. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Elaine. I really appreciate it.
0: Meow Wolf Denver is throwing a family-friendly party in Cheeseman Park today. The event, known as Monster Battle, features Meow Wolf mainstay performers, artists, and DJs. KGNU's Jack Armstrong sat down with event director Kristen Hutton to get the details.
6: The event actually originated in Santa Fe with the original founding artists of Meow Wolf probably about 14 years ago, and they've been doing it annually. Um, They're in the plaza in Santa Fe, and we're bringing it to Denver for the first time and excited to bring some of that, you know, authentic Meow Wolf culture out into our community here.
3: What is the actual event? What is Monster Battle?
6: Well, Monster Battle is an opportunity for people to come out and really just get their play on. It's taking place Thursday, August 10th, from 4 to 9, um, out in the community. It's going to be at the pavilions in Cheeseman Park. There'll be DJs, performers in costume. We encourage attendees to come dressed as their fun, favorite, playful, scary, monstery selves and engage in a dance battle or just watch or, you know, hang out, bring a lawn chair, and just come be with your neighbors in the community. Seeing
3: as though this is like a Santa Fe event that Denver's borrowing, do you have any insight on what the creative process is like for Meow Wolf to put on an event?
6: Whimsy and weird is what we're all about. And so that drives a lot of our creative as well. This event, too, is, is about accessibility. It's fully free to the public. There's no ticket or RSVP required. And, you know, even someone just happening through Cheeseman Park that evening and happens upon the event and wants to join in, it's, it's absolutely welcome to do so. Now you
3: mentioned that the event is family friendly. How do you balance family friendly events and acts with uh, things that maybe are more 18 or 21 plus oriented?
6: We look at a lot of different opportunities to have art and performance happen. Looking at the broad scope of the events that we do, we're able to determine which ones are 18 plus, 21 plus, or all ages and really look at the calendar and make sure we're offering and keeping that mix because we do want to offer something for as much of the the community and our neighbors as we can.
3: Now, as far as the production side, I know know a lot goes into the actual Wolf exhibit. The White's flashy things, et cetera, <laughs> are, are, are just like your guys' language. How do you guys translate that out of the exhibit and find yourself in Cheeseman Park but still put on a Meow Wolf production and it feels like Meow Wolf?
6: Sure. Um, Well, we do that a lot through visual arts. We've got a super cool LED wall that we're bringing in for this event that's going to integrate into the structure of the pavilions. The graphics on there will be from our Meow Wolf artists. DJ Snaggy is making an appearance and DJ Snaggy is the monster battles in Santa Fe traditionally um, and is coming to just, you know, keep the tradition going.
3: As we're wrapping up here, do you have any just final remarks or comments?
6: So again, Monster Battles coming on August 10th, Thursday. It'll be from 4 to 9 p.m. in Cheeseman Park at the Pavilion and, and spreading beyond that. Um, yeah, and we just are really excited to bring it to Denver. There's a lot of energy from our team around it. We've gotten great response. And if people want to learn more, they can go to the events page at meowwolf.com and uh, just go to the Denver page and click on that. You'll see Monster Battle and it'll have more information for you there as well as our Facebook event page.
3: Kristen, thank you so much for joining
6: Thank you, Jack. Appreciate it.
0: Time now for Radio Nibbles, and John Lindorf is here in the studio with a guest. Good morning, John.
2: Good morning, Shannon, and uh, welcome everybody in the KGNU multiverse across the Boulder Valley and the world, and uh, we're gathered here to uh, talk food every Thursday morning. Today, my guest is uh, one of the only other people in Boulder who actually writes about food on a regular basis. Um, we it's uh Colin Colin Ren. Welcome to uh, Radio Nibbles. Good morning John. Thank you so much for having me on air. Um oddly uh Colin and I both write about food for the Boulder Weekly. Uh but we very seldom actually see each other. Uh and, you know, we 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 talk a little bit so we don't write about the same thing, but uh so Colin, um how did you uh how did you get into f- food writing, and uh, how long, and and uh, why?
7: So uh, I've been at food writing for probably six and a half years now, and it all, it all started with a really over the top voracious appetite and kind of a reasonable, uh, decent facility with words. Yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, about six years ago, I kind of connected the two and and uh, kind of sunk my teeth into it. Have stuck with it since. What do you like about it? Uh, a continued uh, devotion to eating plentifully and and
2: well that's what i figure you know uh it's not it's uh, not for everyone because you actually have to pay attention to what you're eating you have to
7: instead of just consuming right yes yes i was gonna say i also developed a love for the craft as as it went along i started off just loving food and since then i've started to really love food writing like every morning i get up and read jonathan gold even though his his, his book came out in 2000 but mm-hmm. I, I just I just love the ability to express uh, that vo- the voice the, the, yeah yeah the, and, the, and the way people talk about their their politics and per- personal history when that when mm-hmm. discussing food that mm-hmm. that really shines through in those mm-hmm. in those communications my hero uh, what you know I, I there were a lot
2: of food writers but I, I especially liked people who were writing in in first person. Who were who you know expressing their you know Calvin Trillin, uh, who wrote uh, Alice Let's Eat was my uh, my writing hero. And I thought if I could write like that, that would be great. But let's uh, let's move on to uh, what's uh, hot and uh, what's not in uh, Boulder dining. Um, so usually we leave this uh, for the end. But uh, what, the, what where have you eaten lately that you just uh, love?
7: So uh some of my favorite spots in Boulder. You know, I had a really really a marvelous uh, summer salad yesterday at uh at uh River and Woods. It was it was, it was uh, heirloom tomatoes, watermelon, diced plum and burrata and man, it did taste like summer. But I'd say the best thing I've had in Boulder in really all years is, is over at uh, Avanti, it's a little spot called Poyotico. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's a uh chicken spot by top chef contestant byron gomez it's it's a costa rican style chicken and man it is it is excellent you can get half birds and what i've been eating there a lot is their chicken sandwich and it is it's 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 really really top tier and uh best thing i've had all year uh a little spot in denver recently opened it's a spot called sapsua it's a vietnamese fine dining and if you go there eat the uh eat the crispy veal sweetbreads (laughs)
2: So it's um, everything we love about uh, Vietnamese food, but uh,
7: elevated to fine dining. Yeah? Yes, yes, yeah, just yeah, a lot of a lot of great dishes. So this d- isn't d- done with real, real refined technique, right? So this isn't
2: the place to get uh, cheap spring rolls with uh, peanut sauce. As much as I love, that. Yeah. Because... <laughs> <laughs> not 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 as much. That's a separate kind of a a, a separate uh, reality.
7: Yeah, where where have you been eating?
2: Um, well, uh, my favorite lately I mentioned was, uh, DJ's watering hole. That's what I, uh, my, my column is about today. Uh, but, um, I've, uh, really enjoyed, uh, Papusa's, Papusa Lovers 2. Yes. Uh, also, uh, quite fine. And I finally went into the place next door, uh, the, the, the Montreal wood-fired bagels, which is right next door to that. I'm unfamiliar. Um, And uh, they were okay. I I actually went to school in Montreal uh, a number of years ago, and uh, so I actually had bagels in Montreal.
0: Can I jump in here and tell you the best thing I've tasted lately? Is, I it went, good?
2: Is it good? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's not in Boulder, though. It's it, okay. Yeah, I went to the Taste of Ethiopia Festival over the weekend.
6: Isn't that We're, amazing?
0: Whoa! Oh, my goodness. And I actually went to a stand. I got some desserts, some handcrafted desserts from a woman who had a stand with her whole family. And I asked, I'm like, where do you have your storefront? And she doesn't have a storefront. Rachel's bakery and she just does catering and special events but i wanted to shout that out because it, it was exceptional mm-hmm. like the whole festival but um her desserts and were great
2: also people don't you know we talk about um you know sometimes there's this impression that colorado is uh white bread you know you know but um the reality is that the the largest population of ethiopians in america is in colorado it's a huge number, and most of them are uh, immigrants living in Aurora. It's a it's a huge community. So, uh, did you see any unusual? Uh, you know, th- this sort of a a typical, you know, standard Ethiopian dinner kind of thing. Well, but they,
0: they had injera plates. Um, and us- the usual, right? The, right. No, I mean, really, it was. I didn't know everything that went onto the plate, but it's like, do you want everything? I'm like, yeah, no. I don't know what everything is, but I'm absolutely going to eat it. the
2: desserts are actually unusual. You don't often see that many of Ethiopian desserts. Yes.
0: There was something that like, something that I really particularly enjoyed. It looked like baklava rolls. Like, it's kind of the same technique as baklava, but not like in a square, but rather in a roll. Uh, really delicious. But, I mean, just the whole festival, there wasn't a, I didn't eat a single bad thing there. It was all delicious.
2: Wow. And uh, finally, uh, you went to Europe. I'm sure you had hundreds of fabulous things that you ate.
7: But what was the best thing you ate in Europe? So it was in, a, it was in Porto in Portugal. We, we were, we were uh, right next to a, a spot called Raiz, and we ate some uh, oxtail croquettes that were just out of control and washed it down with uh, white tonics. Boy, doesn't that sound good, folks?
2: Um, Well, this went too quick. We may have to do this on a regular basis to uh, catch everyone up. Um, Colin, great to see you. Great to see you. Um, And you can uh, read uh, both of us in today's uh, Boulder Weekly. I also would draw your attention to my unique guide to Boulder County's roadside farm stands, which you can find at boulderweekly.com. It's the only place you can find a, a guide to all those cool places by the side of the road.
0: And you can listen to this episode and other podcasts of Radio Nibbles at news.kgnu.org. That's it for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. Thanks to Benita Lee, Ivan Olivas, Jacob Agatston, Zach Thompson, Alexis Kenyon, poor Jae Jung Kit, Elena Claver, Jack Armstrong, and John Lindor for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for Black Talk with Michelle Simpson. That's coming up just after the BBC News headlines.